Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. So today we are continuing our series uh, called People of Truth, and we are talking two weeks about what it means uh, to be people of truth in our thoughts. That's what we did the last two weeks. Starting today, we're going to talk about what being people of truth in our actions looks like. And then the final two weeks, we'll be looking at what it means to be people of truth in our emotions. I'm very excited uh, about that part as well. But as we mentioned at the beginning of this series and then in the You Have Heard It Said series that was a, a few weeks ago, that our actions, what we do, actually flows out of our hearts, out of the way we think, right, and, the, and what motivates us. And so I, want, I don't want to forget that it is out of pure hearts that love Jesus that good actions flow. But today, we are going to be talking about what we do as Christ followers. And because we are apprentices of Jesus, our lives are going to look different, or here's the, here's the thing, they should look different than people who are not apprentices of Jesus. Okay? We show our, uh, our love and our honor, our worship. We show the motivations of our hearts through our actions. And I'm excited. I'm going to be talking out of the, the, the prophet Micah this morning. And I know you guys are all excited. Oh, man, great. Another uh, minor prophet sermon. And it's actually going to be fun. I think it's going to be really, really good. I've spent a lot of time in the prophets. I took a class on Isaiah over the summer. I'm in my uh, uh, Old Testament class. We just got done talking about all the, all the prophets. And so I'm really excited about prophets right now and the, the role they had in the Old Testament. And if you want to know more about the, the role of prophets, I don't have time to talk about that. I, there's a lot of X's in my, in my notes today for things I don't actually have time to talk about. But uh, I love the prophets. I'm really, really excited about it. And so today, looking at Micah, in chapter 6, we're actually going into a courtroom scene. And the, the prophet is speaking an oracle against Israel. And actually the southern tribe of Israel called Judah. And Micah is a contemporary with Isaiah, the the famous uh, prophet Isaiah. And they're both uh, preaching or prophesying, calling the nation back to covenant loyalty um, in this time when the northern kingdom has been conquered and sent into exile by Assyria pretty cool, right? And not, actually, it's not cool. It's bad because they had broken the covenant and their judgment was conquering and exile. And so Micah and Isaiah and a couple of other prophets are talking to the king. They're talking to the nation saying, don't think that that won't happen to you. Don't think that you are better than for some reason because in the same way that the northern kingdom of Israel broke the covenant, you guys are doing the very same things and the exile and conquering of Assyria or what we'll find out is that it is Babylon will happen to you. And so the, the scene that we look on today is this courtroom drama. 
And on Friday, I had, the, like I said, the pleasure of going to the court with, with the Ebies. And it was a joyous, it's a, it's a celebration, right? But there's still kind of a sobriety or kind of a, the, going into a courtroom is a little bit ominous, right? It feels pretty serious. Um, when I was, man, I don't know how long ago that was. It was 20-some years ago. I was a, a witness in a murder trial. And I, um, that's, a, that's a long story, but, and so I had to go in and, and you know, go on the, on the, what do they call that? The witness stand, thank you, Amber. And, you know, and say, tell the truth, the whole truth. And so going in there, it just feels ominous. I wasn't on trial, but I was super nervous, right? And so in Micah, God, the creator of the universe, calls the southern tribe of Judah to trial. Right? And he has some problems with them. And so just that alone talks of the seriousness of this issue. Right? God has some important things that he wants to tell Israel or the southern tribe of Judah. And, it's, and they haven't listened, they haven't listened, they haven't listened. And now he's calling them to court, which will force them to listen to what he has to say. Uh, and, and so real quick, real quick, this uh, is obviously from the Old Covenant, and we are no longer living in the Old Covenant, and so it's a little bit different, but we can still see the heart of God in, his, um, in his, uh, what he's saying against the southern tribe of Judah, right? We can still see how God's heart beats uh, in the, the Old Covenant, even though now we are in the New Covenant, we have the, the death of Jesus on the cross, which has dismantled the powers of sin and death that kept us in slavery. Right? We've now been given Jesus' righteousness, and we live out of that identity. We have now been given the, the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to live as the Father has called us to live. But we can still see in this Old Covenant text the heart of God and what he wants his people to look like. Right? And so how have they broken the covenant? How has Israel broken the covenant? Well, two things we see in the book of Micah. First, they have turned worship from an honoring remembrance of what God had done into a meaningless ritual to appease God. Right? They had turned worship into just this obligation that they would check off. Right? And they weren't coming to the temple. They weren't coming to worship with thankful and expectant hearts to encounter the living God and to remember all that he had done for them. And number two, they were treating people unfairly. They were practicing oppression of foreigners, widows, the poor, and others on the margins of society. So looking at those two things, do you think that this might be applicable to us today? Amen. Yes, Dale is correct. This is applicable, and not, not just to you guys, but to all of us, right? I'm in the same boat, right? It is sometimes easy just to go through the motions. You know, we just turn up on Sunday morning because that's what we do. Right? But today, in the celebration of communion, it was this time to slow down, to remember who God is. Right? And there is some oppression in our country, in our lives. 
And so it's important that we, we look at this passage and see what God would say to us this morning. Right? And why does, why does God care about good actions? Why does he care about what we actually do? Right? And I think it's partially because we are not just spirits. Right? We're not just spirits waiting to get released from this, this body of corruption so that we can float around in heaven for eternity. Right? We're actually full, we're spirit and we're physical. Right? There's, we're, there's, there's soul in there too. But there's the spirit, soul, physicality of humanity. And what we do is, is intricately connected to how we think. Right? It's intricately connected with our spirituality. Right? And we see that as soon as God created humanity, put Adam and Eve in, in the garden, he called them to do stuff, right? to, to be fruitful and multiply, to cultivate the earth, to rule and subdue the earth as, as co-rulers with God. And so throughout the, the Bible, what we do actually matters. And Paul, talking in the, the New Covenant, talks about sin like this. This is Romans chapter 6. I believe it's Romans 6, yeah, verse 15. He says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to to righteousness, right? And so what we do with our bodies actually puts us into slavery with whatever it is that we're serving. And if we are serving ourselves or we're serving sin, we continue to be slaves to sin and we increase sin in our lives and in our community. But if we sell ourselves, if we bow down to righteousness, if we bow down to the Lord Jesus, we uh, become uh, slaves of righteousness, Right? We, be, we grow in righteousness. And often we'll think about this very individualistically. And I usually do that because I'm an American and that's how we think, right? This is about me. It's about my sin or it's about my righteousness. But from a biblical worldview, this is a community wide situation. When I sin, I am ushering sin and corruption and death into my community. When we sin, it's not just me, but it affects our spouse. It affects our family. It affects our church. But in the same way, when we practice righteousness, that affects us and our spouse and our kids and our family and our church and our community. Right? And so we want to give ourselves physically to righteousness. And that means doing some stuff. That means doing some stuff, my friends. Okay? So we are going to jump right in here, jump right in-ish, to Micah chapter 6. And so it says, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Right? So God is calling his people into a lawsuit. It is the last straw, and the people should be nervous. Wait, the, the Lord has a case against us? Uh, this doesn't sound good. I had other plans today. 
Right? And, he, and so he calls the, the, the mountains and the hills to, to bear witness of this accusation that he has against his people. He continues on, he says, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. And so he's saying, what is it? What is it that I have done? How have I offended you? Have I been unfaithful to the covenant? Have I done you wrong in some way? And then he shows, remember, remember what I've done. I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, 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 I don't know, king of Moab plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And so God, in this courtroom, reminds them of four things from their past that showed his incredible love for his people, his desire to see them step into freedom and find life. He brought them out of Egypt. Guys, do you remember? Do you remember the, the ten plagues? Do you, re- plagues? Sorry. Do you remember the, uh, the, the, the parting of the Red Sea? Do you remember when I defeated the, the armies of Egypt that were coming after you? Do you remember how I provided for you in the wilderness, sending manna and quail, water from the rock? Amber and I wandered through the, the desert of Jordan in January, and you know, often we hear that story, and you know, the Israelites are walking around in the desert, and they're grumbling, like, and we're like, man, why are they grumbling? God just provided for them. How could they have any doubts? Well, Amber and I are out there kind of walking around in the, the wilderness, and there's some Bedouins on donkey, or uh, camels over there on their cell phones, weirdly enough, but still, <laughs> it was very strange. And, uh, and but there's nothing. There's no water. There's no trees. There's no oasis. There is nothing. And so we had water bottles and buses, and it's still a little bit like, man, I want to make sure that I've got enough, right? It's just nerve-wracking out there because you're in the middle of nowhere. And for the Israelites, they're walking around with maybe a million people, and like, how are we going to feed and water all these people? So anyway, but God says, remember how I took care of you through that very, very scary situation. And not only that, I gave you great leaders. I gave you Moses. And at the time of the writing, Moses was a really big deal. Like he was the leader. He was the one who brought the people out of, out of Egypt. He was the one who saw God face to face, the one who received the Ten Commandments, right? He's like, remember, I gave you Moses to lead you, and I also gave you Aaron and, and Miriam. And you guys have great leaders too. It's me. <laughs> but, uh, and then he says, do you remember uh, what Balak, king of Moab, plotted? And in the book of Numbers, I know when you're doing your yearly Bible reading, you get to the book of Numbers, it's usually, ugh. 
Like, this is, there's nothing good in Numbers. Well, there's a couple of good spots in Numbers, and one of those stories towards the end of the book is that the, the, the tribe of Israel is, is going through Moab, and Balak the king is like, oh, I can't have this, right? We need to curse these guys. So he calls Balaam, the prophet, and says, hey, come on down here, and will you curse uh, the, the Israelites for me? That would be really, really great. Um, and so he comes down, but God doesn't give him curses to speak. He gives him blessing, right? God takes this, what was meant to curse them and changes it into blessing, right? He's like, I provided for, for you physically and I provided for you spiritually. I love you. I'm for you. And then the fourth one, this Shittim to Gilgal, that is a city on the east side of the Jordan River and a city on the west side of the Jordan River. And again, God brought them through the, the wilderness 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. They were standing there. God again parts the, the Jordan River and they cross over into the promised land. Right? Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember how I helped you defeat all those enemies and gave you a land flowing with milk and honey, right? And so in this prophetic oracle, God is laying it on pretty clearly. Like, I am for you guys. What have I done to offend you? He calls his people to remember his righteous deeds. To remember that he is faithful to fulfill his side of the covenant. So as we read this, we have to ask ourselves, how are we remembering? How are we doing the, the practice of remembering what God has done for us? Just like the Israelites were called to remember their uh, redemption out of slavery, right? we too have been delivered from slavery. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? We're to remember that. We were in slavery and now we're free. Sometimes in, in my life, it, I feel like my kids forget how much I do for them. And maybe that's just a parent thing. I don't know. But I, like, I have a list of things in my mind that I pay for your cell phone, I pay for your car insurance, I paid for your cars, right? I pay for your electricity. Mom actually helped pay for Josh's car. So. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. There's a lot that we provide for our kids, right? And how often do I hear a, a heartfelt Thank you. Thank you, Dad, for paying the electricity bill again today. Right? Never. Never once. They don't even think about the electricity bill, right? They would notice if I turned the, the Wi-Fi off. That they would notice. Uh, but the electricity, probably eventually. Right? And so, but I, we don't get mad at them. That's just what kids do. But in the same way, don't we do that with God? Right? We are going through life and we forget that all the blessings that we have, you know, our house and our car, right? our freedom from sin and, and death, our, our jobs, whatever it is, whatever blessings that God has poured out on us, we forget that, oh, every good and perfect gift is from the Father. 
And we start to, to get this idea that we are the ones that earned this, right? That is, if I'm the one who worked 40 or 50 or 60 hours to, to pay these bills, to get this car, to do whatever, right? This is me. I did this. But we're called to remember. Because when we forget, we begin to lead self-centered, selfish, prideful lives. And I think that that is, this idea of remembering is one of the really important reasons that we turn up every Sunday morning. Right? We turn up not just to see our friends, though that is great, not just to sing some songs, though that is great, not just to hear some guy talk, do a TED talk up here, right, or whatever, right? Not just for the donuts, though those are great, but we come because it causes us to remember that we are not our own, that we were bought at a price. And so when we partake of communion and slow down, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we are fulfilling this command to remember. And honestly, that is why we encourage you as pastors and leaders to do some sort of a daily Bible study or some sort of daily devotions, right? Not because we get a pay raise or we get some benefit if we can get a certain percentage of you to actually read your Bibles during the week, right? We do that. We encourage you to do that because this is the central piece of our, our lives, Right? This is the foundation of what we do, remembering that Jesus Christ, the, the, the Son of God, fully divine, laid down his divinity to come to be born in a, a cave, to be made a man, to endure the pain of the cross so that we could be set free from our sins. We need to remember that. So there's an application for today. Come to church. And read your Bible or do some sort of devotion. It's really good. Okay, and so Israel, then, after God kind of lays out his case against Israel, they have a really great response that is full of gracious reflection of God's loving kindness. And they say, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Sounds like a good idea. With calves a year old? And that would have, and so we kind of don't know what that means, but as I was looking at some, uh, uh, some commentaries, a, a year-old calf is more expensive than what they were off, offering normally, okay? And so it's this kind of, they're upping the ante. Do you want us to bring you more burnt offerings? Do you want us to give you calves that are a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Maybe we could bring a thousand rams and slaughter them for you. Or maybe we'll, we'll, we'll dump out 10,000 containers of olive oil. Or, or maybe God won't even be happy then. Maybe I should offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. It's like they're saying, God, what do you want from us? What are you asking? 
right? Do you want more burnt offerings? You want more expensive cows? You want more rams? You want more olive oil? You know, and then it gets super ridiculous. Well, I'll just start giving you my kids. Is that what you want? Is that finally going to appease you, God? It's as if they're sitting there going, Man, I don't understand. We've done everything that you've asked for of us, God. We've given the appropriate offerings at the appropriate times. Right? We have gone through the religious process in order to keep you blessing us. We're faithful too. We've kept up our side of the deal. And what this reveals in the Israelites is this fundamental misunderstanding of what God is requiring of his people. Right? The offerings are not bribes. Right? They're not bribes, so we get God's blessing. Right? But the, the offerings are supposed to be this outward sign of our heart attitudes of love and honor. Right? These, this recognition of our brokenness and our need for God. But they had turned these offerings in just to religious obligations. Because what the Lord is actually looking for is true worship that glorifies his name. He's not looking for just ritual observance in order to buy his favor. And this, believe it or not, happens in our churches in America even today. Right? We forget who we're worshiping. We forget that what God is actually after. He's after our hearts. Right? We start treating God like a, a genie in a bottle instead of a loving father to, who wants to have actual relationship with us. You know, when you were younger, did you ever try to make a deal with God? Oh, God, I forgot to study for this test. But if, if you uh, help me get an A, then I'm going to read my Bible every day this month. Right? Or this may not... Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's Whatever it is. <laughs> I was going to use an example in my own life, but... Too much information. Am I right? <laughs> right, right. right yeah, yeah, or, or if we said to, to God, you know, I go to church on Sunday morning... I give my 10%. I serve in this area or I serve in that area. I'm good, right? I've checked off the box. Well, God, you want more? Well, what, all right, maybe I'll give you 20%. Is that what you want? I'll give you 25%. Will, will you finally be happy then? Oh, okay, I, I'll serve on the worship team and I'll agree and I will serve in children's ministry and in nursery. Will you finally be happy then, right? As if somehow that's what God is looking for. Like, I just want you to be working hard, right? I want you to, to do the, the hard work so that you can earn my love. But that's not what he's looking for at all. He wants our hearts. He wants us to draw near to him, to, to love him, to give him true worship. And what Micah says, as we'll get there in a second, is that out of that, out of this love, comes right action. Right Out of this love for God, man, I want to give back. I want to practice generosity because I recognize that everything I have has been given to me from you, Lord. 
right? I want to, to serve at the church in some capacity because I'm so grateful for what God has done in me through this community, right? I want to tell people about Jesus because of the way he saved me from sin and death in a life that was going down the tubes, right? And so we do things, we practice right action as a response, right, of, uh, of hearts that truly love and remember God. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, how have we turned religion into an empty ritual? Where are we using our faith as just bribery to get God's favor? And Micah corrects this messed up idea of the Israelites in the last verse that we're going to look at today. In verse 8 he says, as if Micah stands up in court and says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This isn't something new, guys. The Lord has already revealed to you what you're supposed to do. And this is what it looks like. This is the outflow of hearts that worship the Lord. Lives of justice. Lives of mercy and humility. And justice is all about right social relationships. Right? It's a, it, it's a, we are focused on raising up people that are on the, the bottom of, of life and help, giving them a helping hand. Right? It's, it's about having just government that doesn't you know, value one kind of person over another kind of person. It means having justice in our business dealings, right? that we value and honor people, that we do what we say we're going to do. When this uh, w- was written in, throughout the, the Middle East, there were a lot of opinions out there about how you're supposed to treat poor people and how you're supposed to treat widows and how you're supposed to treat children and slaves and foreigners. But the Israelites weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to follow God's ways. In his ways, throughout the Old Covenant, throughout the instruction of Moses, is to love, to care for, to provide and protect those that we would rather overlook. And we all have people that we want to overlook. And you cannot be right with God if you are taking advantage of somebody. You just can't do both. We're also called to love mercy. And this word translated mercy is this great uh, Hebrew word, uh, chesed, and it means like... uh, Often in, like in the ESV or the, in the New King James, it's translated as loving kindness. And it's this word that, that talks about covenant loyalty. It's this steadfast, ruggedly determined uh, covenant loyalty that God has for his people. And we, we could do a word search. We could, there's hundreds of verses, even just in the Psalms, about God's loving kindness and how he has uh, held up his side of the deal, how he has been loyal to Israel. 
But in this idea of hesed, there is a reciprocity. That means that God expects, or the expectation is that when you give loving kindness, when you give mercy, you are going to receive mercy. Right? And so God is steadfastly loyal to us, and the expectation is that we will be steadfastly loyal to him. We recognize that we have obtained incredible amounts of mercy when we were sinners, when we were dead, right, and we were shaking our fist as enemies to God. He had mercy on us. And so we are supposed to reciprocate mercy. And so how are we walking in mercy? How are we, you know, giving people what they don't deserve? Right? And there is a connection to this in justice, I believe, is a little bit different with, with God, our covenant loyalty to God and our covenant loyalty with one another. How are we walking that out in our daily lives? That's what God is looking for. And finally, he's looking for humility. The last action that uh, Micah mentions is to walk humbly with God. And what the, the idea of this is, uh, in other translations, it's to walk circumspectly or, or wisely. It has this uh, idea of being attentive to God's ways. And not just being attentive, but subordinating your will, your desires, to God's will and God's desires. That is how we're supposed to walk with God, submitting ourselves to his way. And so following God means looking, uh, following God, it's going to look a certain way. And as I began the sermon saying, you know, as, as Christ followers, our lives should look different than people who are not following Christ. And we want to say that deeds don't matter, right? That it's just what's going on in our heart. And that means that we're probably compartmentalizing our faith. We're just checking the box of religion, and then doing, you know, life the other six days or six and a half days, however we like. But James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so I encourage you as we go from here to, to look at your lives, to look at what you do with your lives when you wake up and when you go to work and when you are with your, your kids and when your family comes back together after school and before you go to bed and what you watch on TV, all of the stuff that you do and ask, you know, where is my faith not forming what I do with my life? Where is what I believe not congruent with what I'm actually doing? Am I compartmentalizing my faith from the rest of my life? And if we do that, and as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, as we remember who he is and who we are, then that is going to be an amazing launching pad for us to act justly, to, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Okay? So let's stand. I'm just going to close in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you for this day, uh, Sunday morning, when we can come and remember your amazing sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that which you have called us to do. Lord, that you would show us places where we are, are not lining up with this call to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Lord, help us to align ourselves completely, completely with you so that we can bring you glory and uh, we can make you famous. Lord Jesus, we love you. In your name, amen.